When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town, your state, across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to the Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me Mr. Ian Robertson from Canada to discuss about responsible investing. The responsible investing becomes all the more an important subject in the times of pandemic. Ian uh, is uh, my guest today and he is the portfolio manager director and vice president of Odlum Brown and is a member of the firm's executive committee. Ian has been a volunteer leader in the investment industry since late 1990s. He has volunteered extensively with CFA Institute both locally and globally and has been a leader within Canada as board chair of the Responsible Investment Association, RIA. He is an enthusiastic supporter and a volunteer at University of British Columbia and has been recognized several times for these and other community contribution. Uh, Ian is currently pursuing his PhD uh, part-time at the University of Oxford, focusing on corporate governance and responsible investment. He has presented on various aspects of responsible investment at industry and academic conferences, including at the University of Oxford, the University of Sheffield, Imperial College London, uh, St. Mary's University Halifax. His first published paper was awarded Best Student Paper at the United Nations, bagged PRIs 2017-2017 Academic Conference. Ian is a long-standing reviewer of both fiction and non-fiction books. His reviews have been published in the Financial Analyst Journal, the Journal of Sustainable Finance and Investment, and CFA's Institute's Enterprising Investor, and can also be found online on goodreads.com and on his personal website, ianrobertsoncfa.com. He has authored a book chapter, Responsible Investment Requires a Proxy Voting System Responsive to Retail Investors. And his book reviews include Principles of Sustainable Finance, The Power of Single Number, A Political History of GDP, Investment Risk Management, Succession Planning for Financial Advisors, Building an Enduring Business, How to Really Ruin Your Financial Life, and portfolio. Hi, Ian. Hi, Mahesh. Thanks so much for having me on Global Business. On uh, Pleasure to be with you. Welcome. And uh, a very interesting topic in front of us today. A very, very pertinent topic also in the current times when pandemic is around us. Uh, the responsible investment or responsible investing. Uh, just uh, on, on my research on some of your papers and I found it very, very interesting how ESG investing, that's what I got out of it, uh, how it is taking such a sound footing, you know, how companies are taking it seriously and uh, how uh, the funds 
or the value which is being invested using these vehicles are in consideration of those factors have grown to 30.7 trillion dollars in 2018 from 22.8 trillion in 2016 that is a tremendous growth especially when you compare with the entire S&P 500 Uh, which is worth almost 25 trillion dollars, but it doesn't stop there. I believe some numbers are available that within next two decades, this number may increase to almost 50 trillion dollars, which is pretty big amount. So that means this has really taken some serious roots. So Ian, I, I would like you to start with uh, uh, sharing with our listeners what is responsible investing. Well, Mahesh, you you ask the million dollar question there, and I I want to tell you what responsible investment is and how I think about it by going back a little bit in history. And for those listeners who are older than say thirty or so, uh, th- th- this will resonate with them because they will have been through this evolution in terminology from what we uh, sometimes call socially responsible investment or or or, or uh, um, ethical investing. to to what we now call responsible investment and you, you know socially responsible investment and responsible investment two of the three words are the same uh, but th- but they have distinct meanings and i want to go back a little bit in history just to try to characterize that so that people get a good understanding of ah i see this is the evolution of it and and this is what the different terms mean so in 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 investments um there have been uh, organizations and individuals that have avoided particular stocks for a long time probably for as long as stock markets and it's religious organizations that really uh, did this in a sort of structured way with their investment portfolios they would uh, avoid certain stocks that didn't resonate with their values so you know the things that we would call in quote sin stocks um and and so they would have an investment portfolio it would generate some profits they would take those profits and do good works with them uh, to 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 um you know help their uh, members and to help uh, the community um uh, but they would avoid these stocks and and individuals as well have forever invested more more often with things that they know that they're comfortable with and have avoided stocks that they either didn't know or were uncomfortable with and there's the same logic rationale that Warren Buffett will uh, tell you to use if you're buying individual stocks um he, he'll say you know stick with what you know and invest that way and and inherently we sort of bring our our morals and our values to the table in the same way that religious organizations have for more than 100 years in a more structured and sort of codified way where they screen out so today we would call that negative screening and in the late 60s and the 70s we had social movements um like uh, protests against the companies involved in the Vietnam war uh and and 10 years later we had uh, protests uh, as when i was on campus um against the apartheid regime in south africa and protests against companies there and the, and the beginning of a divestiture movement and today we see that with oil companies right so that's that's a a negative screening uh, get these companies out of our portfolio but it's predicated on a value system a, a moral space system uh, these companies are not good corporate citizens they're they're um sending the world in or they're involved in that or they're supporting that 
And so we should get them out of our portfolios. And and it's those it's the integration of those social movements and the investing side that really came to be the basis of this socially responsible investment or ethical investing. Now, a couple of nuances have been added to that over time. So in addition to this negative screening, this screening out of uh, of companies that that are um, having a negative impact, there is also a movement to do positive screening, and that is to screen in companies that are helping move the world in a better direction, that are having a positive impact. And and you can um, you can implement that in a number of different ways. But that's that ethical, socially responsible investment. And in the early two thousands. Uh, so, so investment firms have always been willing to help their clients um, invest in, in ways that are um, mean, that they want, that are meaningful to them. Um, but what they did in the early 2000s was come together to say, we need some way to, um, we, we need a way to kind of codify this in an analytical way so that we can, uh, ha- have a structured approach when we analyze these companies. And that was the origin of what we know today as the PRI, the Principles for Responsible Investment, a UN-backed agency um, that that sort of brought together asset managers, you, you know, mutual fund companies, um, and asset owners, so think of them largely as pension funds and endowments, um, to, to, to come together to define environmental and social and governance norms and um, to, to help bring in metrics, the ways to measure these um, issues. So what was a morals-based approach started becoming more of an analytical tool. And integrating these E, S, and G factors into the analysis, the valuation of a stock, um, it, it took the values, the norm side out of it, and shifted it more to an analytical approach. And that's what we think of today as responsible investment. It's integrating those ESG factors into the analysis. It doesn't mean you can't still apply a norms-based screen of some sort, but from an analytical standpoint, when these financial analysts are looking at companies and valuing them, they're going to take these ESG. So that's kind of a, a long history, but that's the difference between this SRI, socially responsible investment, and what we term today responsible investment, which is the integration of ESG factors. Correct. So basically, uh, if you look at it in the past, suppose we are avoiding some companies based some of the behavioral aspects or where they were in, where they were working, what field they were in. Now we have a much more structured approach where there is a positive reinforcement, which is if you are good in ESG, you get selected over others and you attract more funds. Instead of the, the shift from the past, we can say is to avoid the companies which are into uh, not such desirable application of their products or services or not taking uh, uh, the role of uh, a good social citizen. That's that's exactly right, Mahesh. And um, and again, I want to dive one level deeper just so, to give about in terms of how the mechanics work. General, in broad terms, that's exactly right. So let's think about a stock portfolio. So uh, let's say you have X and you want to put it into stocks and the analyst at the fund company or, or, or your advisor is integrating these ESG factors in the analysis. They are Those are often factors that are not on the balance sheet. They're not on the income statement. 
that have additional factors. We take factors into account, right? The quality of a firm's management, uh, their strategy, where we think their product versus their their competitors. Um, so, so we've always done that, but now we're also factoring in these environmental and these social, you know, how they treat their workers and governance, how, how robust is their, is there good diversity on their board? Um, that, that kind of thing. Um, and, and so if we're not taking those things into account and they're material, if they're important to that company, then we're going to be missing something. We're going to be missing a, a, a factor that's important to valuing the company. And we're, we're not going to have as robust a result in analyzing the company as we might have otherwise. So companies that are more transparent with these issues that tell us what's happening are more likely, studies show, they're more likely to have a better valuation. They're not, you know, this sort of black box approach. You wonder what's in there, right? If they're not being transparent with these E, S, and G measures. And so they're more likely to get a, a better valuation. They'll have slightly easier access to capital. Lots of studies that show this kind of thing. So you're, you're absolutely right. These sort of, in quotes, better corporate citizens are more likely to have, all other things equal, an easier time attracting capital. I do want to distinguish, though, the primary markets from the secondary markets. And the primary markets are where they're raising that capital, where a bank is lending them new money or where they're issuing new stock. Um, that, that's where new money is going into it. Well, most people are involved in uh, when they're investing. The secondary markets, they are buying and selling. It's, a, it's kind of like a merry-go-round of stocks. They're trading from one place to the other. So if you have a company uh, and, you, and you want to sell it, you know, you, you sell the, the stock. It doesn't match your values, and it, but it's going to somebody else's portfolio. And so there can be that selling. If there's enough selling pressure, it does drive down the the price, the value of that stock. Um, and you see that, you know, if you watch the, the business news and you'll see that uh, Goldman Sachs or Merrill Lynch or whomever, Bank of America or whoever it is, has put out a, a sell recommendation or downgraded a stock, you can see it drop, right? It's because there are some people rushing to the exits and they kind of sell it. Um, in the long run, those kinds of things, those dips down from sell recommendations and dip or bumps up from buy recommendations kind of even out over time. Ultimately, in the long run, the, the, the stocks find their, their level based on their, you know, their earning stream and the other ESG issues. Um, but when you sell it, so you may drive down the price a little bit, um, but, but eventually the stock will settle into a proper level. So they go too high, they go too low. But yeah. if you look at a long-term trend, they, they should track what their earnings are. Oh, perfect. Uh, Ian, we'll take a short break and, uh we will continue our discussion after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle. The Voice America interactive radio player powered by Aircast gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for your iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. And I have with me Ian and uh, we are talking about responsible investing in the times of pandemic. So thank you, Ian. Um, very insightful first session <clears throat> on what is responsible investing. And you talked about ESG and some other parameters, how the positive reinforcement is being pulled in to to reward the companies who are doing good for society, environment, and who are governed very well. Um, would let's continue from uh, what we were discussing earlier what is the esg and you explained very well what's its role and how it is so important so it's a good question because our you know this this origin that i went back to with um, religious organizations and divesting from or screening out certain stocks you know we we bring those morals our own individual morals with us it's a it's a type of behavioral finance, except a, instead of a subconscious one, which is what most behavioral economists or behavioral finance uh, folks study, you know, these subconscious uh, um, actions that we, we can't get away from and are sometimes surprised to learn of. But our values are front and center, right? They're, it's not really a surprise to us what those are, but it is a type of behavioral finance. And so when we look at companies and we ascribe some sort of, uh, you know, moral characteristic or values-based uh, uh, characteristic to them. This is, this is what companies work so hard to cultivate, right? Their brand image and how we feel about them. And um, But when we get down to that analytical part, that ESG integration, that sort of basis that I described that started with that UN-backed agency, the PRI, um, that analysts use, that they are going to look at these environmental and these social and these governance factors uh, with, with a a lens that first and foremost asks, is this issue material to this company and to this sector? So to give you an example, if you look at a banking stock or a financial services company um, and, and you're thinking about carbon footprint, it's not that they don't have any carbon footprint, but in terms of the grand scheme of their operations and where the risks are and how they impact society, um, you know, they, they should work to reduce their carbon footprint as much as possible. But it's from a financial standpoint, it's probably not a material 
factor. Um, so again, they should do all they can. But if we look at a utility, uh, so, so, uh, you know, a company that's providing energy to us, the, the carbon footprint for that type of company or for an oil and gas company or an extractive company, a, a mining company, um, the carbon footprint to those companies is really a big deal. And so if you think of, for example, where I live in British Columbia, we've had a carbon tax uh, here for uh, something like a dozen years, and now we have one uh, nationally as well in Canada. And so if you think about carbon footprint and you think about financial risk, so we, we clearly want the carbon footprint of the world to go down. And if we look at the risk, the, the materiality to a company, it's going to be much more important to the bottom line, to the earnings for an oil and gas company or to utility if, for example, carbon taxes come in. Um, you know, we've seen versions of carbon taxes or cap and trade in, in a few parts of the world, and it may be that we get more of those. So when you're analyzing the company and you're trying to look out what are their earnings going to be like in five years and 10 years, and if you're a pension fund, for example, that has, you know, a 50 or more year time horizon, right, because as long as they have people they're paying a pension to, that's how long they're going to invest for. So so those issues become really material. And, and so it is different the materiality of environmental issues and social issues and governance issues is going to be slightly different for different companies and different sectors. And so while our, our, our morals will naturally lead us to think, uh, or our values, I mean, there's kind of a heuristic that we use to say, uh, uh, yeah, oil companies, yeah, that, that, that's the source of the carbon. But we may not actually think about it in terms of utilities where we get, they're the ones burning the fossil fuels to right. the power. And um, so sometimes our, our morals will lead us in a good, you know, we can't change them. They're going to lead us in a in a good direction. Uh, but we want we want to also bring in what the analysts are saying to say, is this important or not? And then, and and this is where it gets kind of interesting. Um, you know, the analysts have this neoclassical economics or financial training, right? It's a sort of mathematical output trying to get the best the best risk adjusted return and our values come from this behavioral side of things but there's a there's an economist in um uh, i think he's at santa clara maybe santa barbara anyway california mayor statman and and what he says is you know we've had these these sort of epochs these waves of of uh, um theoretical underpinnings and first was the neoclassical that just drove us to this optimized risk adjusted return and you know, buy all the stocks and keep them at as low a price as possible. And, and, you know, that's where Vanguard and BlackRock and others sort of get their theoretical roots from. And then we had the behavioral finance folks come in. And what Mayor Statman and others say is that it's actually a combination. When you and I go to invest, we want the financial rewards, or if we're leading an organization's uh, um, investments, we want the best possible return we can, but we also want it to resonate with our values and they're not mutually exclusive but they're coming from different directions and we just have to recognize that that sometimes they're going to produce um results that are exactly what we want but other times there may be a little tension between an analyst saying no this is actually a really good investment and our values saying oh but you know i get that and i want the best risk adjusted return but it really bugs me you know and and if you think about if you had a portfolio of stocks and and you're an advisor or you decide that a tobacco stock is the best, you know, it's going to produce a really good return in there. For a lot of people, it would just bother them to know it was in there or, or you know, I mean, pick your stock. It could be any tobacco is an easy one to pick on. But mm -hmm. um, 
and and so there's this combination of things that we're after. And so the ESG comes from this analytical basis and the socially responsible investment, the ethical part of the investing comes from a, a different um, angle. And and when oil companies are overpriced or the, or the risk isn't factored in them properly or when you get a collapse in the oil prices, it you know it looks so easy to say, well, look, we we made ourselves feel good by not having oil companies in our portfolio. And then the price of oil goes way down and the stocks go way down and you say, well, it's, it's kind of validation. But at some point, the opposite will probably be true, right? At some point, they'll be undervalued and they'll go up better than the market. And, uh, uh, you know, you just want to think about, uh, the, the different sources of, of, um, or, or different types of, uh, investment theory that are going into this, the sort of behavioral roots that we all come with and this analytical uh, part that's really amoral. It's not immoral. It's just amoral. They're just looking at tr- trying to figure out what the profits are going to be and what the risk of the company is and how it fits into a portfolio. And then we can all feel free to screen it out. We don't have to include any stocks we don't like in a portfolio, uh, but we have to recognize we're doing that for a different reason uh, than than what the analyst is coming at it from. Perfect. Well, it looks like that uh, what you explain. Uh, Although this ESG thing or all this social and moral values, they started taking roots maybe two decades ago or maybe 10 years, 15 years ago, when these terms came up, ESG and all that. Uh, but now, um, with this signing of this United Nations backed, what you were talking about, principles of responsible investment, uh, that was signed by, I was looking at some somewhere a data on it that more than 2,000 money managers signed up for that. Mm-hmm. They've signed on to this United Nations backed principles of responsible investment. Those guys are overseeing almost what 80 trillion or so worth of assets. So if this is the kind of awareness is already available, that means there is a big push coming in this direction. And uh, the other point which you mentioned very well that uh, like suppose I'm a naive investor for me my return is very important because I'm putting in my hard-earned money so the question would come to my mind yeah listen am I sacrificing uh, a return uh, by uh, focusing my moral compass on ESG and doing all the good things uh, for society for environment for governance but it appears that this size of money managers and the asset class recognizing it, there should not be much of a risk on sacrificing a part of your return. What do you think about that? You know, there's been a long debate and I, I want to distinguish uh, and then explain why. Sure. Uh, so so in theory, by investing, using your moral compass, your values, uh, either as the guide or as part of the guide to how you invest, in theory, it is you are going to have a suboptimal risk-adjusted return. Uh-huh. But I say that in theory, but I would say in practice, you'd be hard-pressed to notice the difference. And in fact, what I was talking about with this economist in California, Mayor Statman, um, where he's saying, you know, we had the neoclassical, then we had the behavioral, now we have this sort of mixture of the two of them. We have to recognize that people are getting both things out of their investments. They want to be able to go to a cocktail party and say, you know, I, I have this new wind farm stock or or I don't have a tobacco stock. You, you know, there's 
it's 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 important to them. It's it's fulfilling a need. So let me let me go back to this difference between in theory, yeah, maybe, but in practice, no, probably not. And in fact, you may be getting more uh, from the other side of things that than you're even giving up in theory. So in theory, the best risk-adjusted return. This is this you know classical finance that goes back to Harry Markowitz in the fifties and and Fama. And, and this efficient uh, frontier, modern portfolio theory. And so you want to hold essentially the basket of all of the stocks together. And then you adjust your risk by that complete basket of stocks. And, and you just change the percentage you have in a treasury bill, for example. Right. So if you want to be all growth, it's 100 percent that that complete basket of stocks. And if you want to be all safety, then it's 100 percent treasury bill. And most people are somewhere in between. It's just a straight line sliding scale, and most people have probably seen that straight line. If you want a higher return, you have to take more risk. But that is the optimal amount of, uh, the lowest amount of risk for the optimal return is by buying all of the stocks in the universe. So if you work backwards and you screen something out, let's say it's a tobacco stock or a coal stock, those are two popular ones, um, and I'm going to get to oil in a second, but they're really small parts of the economy. And if you screen them out and you hold the rest of the basket, You'd be hard pressed to measure what the difference is in the returns. It's it's there, but when you look at your statement at the end of the month, it's uh, it's it's unlikely that there's any measurable difference in the return and the volatility, the risk in the portfolio. So, in theory, you know this 1950s, 60s, 70s theory, modern portfolio theory, uh, there is a difference, and and the math shows it. But in practice, not. Plus, you get the benefit of saying, you know, those those stocks, those sectors, those companies drive me crazy, and you don't have to put up with them in your portfolio. So there's a, there's a there's a benefit there. And we're just sort of recognizing that you're still getting essentially the best risk-adjusted return, and you're fulfilling this other need, which is not having these stocks that that drive you crazy. But I have to say, the bigger the thing that you screen out, the more likely it is to have an impact. And so oil is actually a much bigger sector. Or if you screen out, um, uh, you know, countries, if you screen out Europe, let's say, uh, that's a big thing to give up, right? And this is, and we all know this, that all of our advisors are trying to get us to invest globally um, because we have this uh, propensity to invest where we live, our home country bias, they would call it. Um, and, and so uh, that's kind of a long answer to your question. Do, do you get the best returns? Well, if you screen out, I mean, maybe in theory you're giving something up in practice, probably not. But it is also good to say, to remind uh, listeners, that by integrating these ESG factors into the analysis, you are doing a much more comprehensive, or what the analyst is, doing a much more comprehensive um, valuation of the company, and they're more likely to come out with a, a better um, a, a better answer, a better portfolio. Perfect, perfect. So, again, very interesting uh and, and very enlightening, enlightening discussion. This is a very good piece of information. We'll take a short break and we'll continue our discussions on this subject after the break. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle. The Voice America interactive radio player powered by Aircast gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for your iPhone, Android, or Amazon Kindle powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We are having very intriguing discussions with Ian. Uh, he is in Canada. I'm sitting in Houston. Uh, interestingly, technology makes the stock a lot of good, nice things you can share across any platforms, Ian. Uh, very good uh, explanation, a very good learning on uh, how you can, you're using your moral compass on uh, uh, your investing decisions, whether it is the max return you're getting or you're getting suboptimal or the combination of what you think you're getting is uh, bigger than the total value of just a pure return. I just want to share a few things with our uh, listeners, uh, some of the quotes which I've seen from some of the companies. Uh, it is definitely, uh, there, there are many different ways to approach responsible investing. That's what I understood from discussion with you in the last two sessions, but that ESG, which has been widely used as a part of responsible investing, uh, definitely it has taken roots over the past few years. And uh, if the indication is the the funds allocated there or to such companies, clearly saying that. And uh, all those um, money managers becoming part of it. Now here I read out from what Credit Suisse says in a recent report that ESG looks set to dominate investors' agendas in the years ahead. Bank of America mentions that 70% of U.S. assets can't be analyzed without using ESG. And uh, from Goldman Sachs, uh, one of their analysts said last year, an ESG, uh, sorry, as ESG issues become increasingly material, across many industries, uh, our, which means Goldman Sachs analyst teams have taken pen to paper to address the impact on corporates. 
And on similar lines, uh, JP Morgan have also mentioned that the demand for sustainable investing has been clearly growing over the past year. So it looks like there are a lot of new vehicles which are coming in to invest in, 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 in this direction. And uh, also the focus is increasing. One, one piece which uh, came very strikingly obvious to me is there are certain geographies who are uh, very deeply engrossed now and they have contributed a lot. It looks like almost 93% of sustainable investing, uh, part of that 30 trillion number which I talked about 2018, 93% came from Europe, United States and Canada. So if you see the two largest continents uh, with you know, North America and Europe with developed economies, most of them, they are very cautious about it. And next in the sequence of investment comes Australia and New Zealand combined together and then Japan. So there is a geographical hint also here that where it has taken roots. And also uh, these are the geographies, especially if you look at North America, where the the intensity and focus is quite a bit on return on investment and what kind of return you are getting. So definitely there is some balance coming up where uh, people are keeping their moral values ahead and along with the returns, so their moral compass is also positioning them in the right direction along with the returns in combination of two uh, could be coming up very well. So in earlier session, you described very well that what where is analytics, where is the moral um, values, how they're getting aligned. In this session, Ian, can you um, talk about how to have a combination of both moral values and analytics and also how can individual investors like me or our listeners can also participate in it, in, in influencing the decisions with the companies or, or wherever they have invested. It's a it's a very good question about the influence on companies. We started off our discussion uh, talking about does that divestiture or that ESG integration, the analysis, affect the cost of capital for companies? And and there is some evidence to say that it does, but we have to be thoughtful about how much it impacts them and whether you know that cost of capital is going to. Um, just go to a certain level regardless of whether we sell the stock in it because somebody else buys it and maybe it goes back up to a normal price, a proper valuation over time. So maybe there's a short-term impact. A good question as to whether there's a longer-term impact on the cost of capital. Um, but, but taking account of ESG factors, as, as banks will do uh, when they're lending money, they may raise or lower their, their cost of capital. And I've spoken to the heads of capital markets at um, – uh, some Canadian banks and daring to do that when they are making uh, loans to, for example, the extractive industry to say, well, we need to factor in these the carbon tax. What about the issue of stranded assets? Is the asset level, the asset valuation of the company really, are we going to be able to take, or are they going to be able to take all of that oil and gas out of the ground or is some of it going to be stranded as we shift to other technologies? So that it's a very complex weaving of issues, but I think it's fair to say that it, it does affect the cost of capital. But there is another very direct way that investors, when you're, when you're investing your money, can have an impact on the company. And that is through proxy voting. 
the pro proxy voting, so if I can go back <laughs> that 100 years or more when companies were first forming, uh, you know, the public companies, it was in the Victorian era that our modern conception of the limited liability company sort of came into view. There, there had certainly been corporations earlier than that, but they were sort of more family business, community businesses, or the mercantilists, you know, these um, that were tied up with trade and um, colonialism. But the modern corporation, limited liability, sort of goes back to the Victorian era. And originally, they would be coffee house types of, you know, so you would see who the other shareholders were. But as companies got bigger, as they got more geographically um, dispersed, as the shareholders started to exchange, you know, you have standardized accounting, and then shareholders start to exchange shares anonymously, right? You, you sell to somebody not at the coffee house, not the person you know, uh, but somebody who may be in another part of the country. And then you get more and more shareholders. This issue of how you hold management, how you hold companies to account becomes um, a very important theoretical consideration. And so what we have is elected boards of directors to represent the shareholders and other stakeholders as well. And and it's important how we elect those boards of directors and then you appoint the auditors and they do their job every year. And so those are, those are proposals that come out every year to shareholders. And we vote on them and we say, yes, we'll elect that director. Maybe there's somebody who, who we don't like and we vote against that director. We approve the auditors. Where companies are not not behaving as well as they could be on environmental or social or governance issues, ESG issues, shareholders have a, a right, especially in the states, they have to meet certain standards, certain thresholds. It has to be a, a material issue and kind of a policy uh, related issue, um, but th they can put a proposal on that annual ballot as well. So it might say, for example, uh, we would like you to have a policy on board diversity. So maybe it's a a board that that is typically they you know they they would often in the past have been all middle aged or older white guys, right? So you'd have this um, you would want a, you'd say we want you to have a written board policy board diversity policy about how you attract and assess directors and their skill sets. And uh, it, but it could be an environmental issue. It could be a, how you treat workers, uh, worker conditions, um, you know, any number of material ESG things. And and so that, that shareholder proposal can go on the ballot. And those are really important uh, issues. They tend to uh, be filed with the larger, more iconic companies. So the Dow Jones 30 would um, I've looked at this number and I think it's somewhere close to a half, a third to a half of all of the proposals filed in the states that go on the ballot are filed with these larger companies with the idea that, you know, you get uh, the, the, the biggest ones, the McDonald's or the Coca-Cola's or the Apple's or the Google's or the whomever to, to implement a policy and others will eventually follow suit. So they, they just tend to attract a larger number of proposals. But those proxy votes are actually really important ways for investors to know that their voice is being heard because for every share you hold, there's a vote going either for that proposal or, or against that proposal. So remember, the director elections and the auditor elections are important. They tend to be a little less contentious, but these shareholder proposals by definition are things that management is not doing that some group of shareholders, maybe a large group of shareholders, thinks is important to move the company in a better direction and usually to have a more profitable outcome. It's usually they're trying to be a win-win situation or, or reduce risk, right? Increase transparency. And so one of the things that investors should look at is if they're investing through a mutual fund, 
or an index fund, an exchange traded fund, or or with an advisor directly, is to say, how, how is my vote being cast? Is it being cast? And if so, is it being done with any thought uh, uh, about the issues, or is it a default? I'm just voting with management. We, we wouldn't like this company. Uh, uh, sorry, we we like the management. We wouldn't have invested in it if we didn't think it was doing a good job. So just vote yes, yes, yes with management. And uh, you know, on the face of it, there's a kind of logic to that. But if you think about it, it's assuming that management is always doing the right thing and that there's nothing they could do better. And uh, and so it's really important to look at that proxy voting record and in the background. So you can see you can see how the votes are cast. In the background, a lot of the larger firms and these leading uh, ESG firms and, uh, um, and responsible investment firms are engaging with the companies behind the scenes. That's that's a part we can't see, but they're often in dialogue to say, you know, could you could you disclose your carbon footprint? Could you could you develop and publish a, a board diversity policy? Could, you know, any number of issues. And and if they're getting some traction on that, and the company often this th- these are new issues to companies, especially smaller ones, and uh, and so you may be getting very positive results without actually having to go through a, filing a shareholder proposal and, and um, voting publicly against what uh, management is is doing. Um, so you want to know whether company wh- sorry whether the investment firms are engaging with the companies, and you want to know how those votes are going. And uh, so that's an, a really important part. And and just to circle it back to what we were talking about earlier, this analytical-based ESG integration versus the values approach where we want to screen out the companies that drive us crazy. Let's let's take a look at an oil and gas company, for example. If if we're concerned about uh, the climate crisis and and just don't want any part of the oil companies uh, that are whose products are at the root of this, um, then we may not want those in our portfolio, and that's that's sort of the heart of this divestiture uh, uh, movement, right? That we see on lots of campuses and for lots of larger portfolios, um, p- pensions and others, uh, campaigns against that, right? To divest out of those stocks. But if you think about what we were just talking about, the engagement and the voting of proxies, if you own the stock, you you get some votes. You get to vote in trying to get them to change their behavior. So. Uh, to, to lower their carbon footprint, to tie executive pay to reducing carbon emissions in the production of these uh, products. And so it's not an easy answer to say, what, how am I going to make the biggest difference? Uh, you know, how much does it drive me crazy to have it in my portfolio versus, yeah, but my vote can count. And if I invest it this way, uh, this is that, very, that's the heart of it. Yeah, Ian, this is a very critical point. As you, 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 you hit a very good point here that how do you influence that decision? It depends on how you have invested. What we're going to do is we'll take a short break and we'll continue our discussion after the break. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. 
For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. And uh, we are having very interesting discussions with Ian about uh, responsible investing, especially in the times of uh, pandemic. But we are understanding from Ian what exactly it is and how does it influence uh, our decision making and how our decision to having invested in that uh, gives us certain rights. So, Ian, uh, you talked about certain rights we have in terms of proxy voting. Now, there could be various varieties of proxy voting depending on what have you bought, a stock or something else. Can you share with us that how does it differ and how an investor can execute his right, his or her rights? Yeah, it's not easy, but let, let me, let me uh, outline three different ways. So w- way back when uh, stocks started trading on the exchange, you, you got mailed a physical certificate, right? It was a, like Very a giant true. piece of money. It was I had fancy. quite a bit of them. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, yeah. Those of us who are old enough remember those. And, uh, but today people don't really know what they because it's electronic, right? It's on your phone, your stocks. Um, but 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 I say that because also four times a year they would mail you, if it paid a dividend, they would mail you a dividend check, right? So they mail you the share certificate. You put it under your bed. You got a check in the mail four times a year. You put it in the bank. And once a year they mailed you that proxy that said, you know, elect our directors and, and approve the auditors. And you mailed it back. People really did. Not, 70 to 90 percent of investors mailed that proxy back and, and it worked like a charm. But the problem was more and more trades started happening and they couldn't create the share certificates fast enough, right? If, if you sold your stock, you had to take your old one in and they destroyed it and they issued a new one with the new person's name on it. Today, the so so the trading became electronic and really efficient and we see that, right? I mean, you watch the stocks flip over on the screen if you watch the business channel and it's amazing how much gets traded. The proxy system, that once a year form that used to come to you, it's still a once a year form. And the whole investment industry has become much more complex with the rise of mutual funds, exchange traded funds, um, advisors and sub-advisors, and it's a very complex web. So if you own stocks directly today through a broker, a brokerage firm, you will probably still get those proxies and those annual reports in the mail. The challenge for you as a brokerage investor is that the issues are really complex. It's, you know, 40, 50 years ago, you were probably okay actually just ticking the box, yes, with management, here are the directors, approve the auditors. But not all shareholder proposals are worded well or actually in your interest. They could be niche niche interests. Um, I mean, generally they're well-worded and well-meaning, 
Uh, but but you need to think about it. You may need to research the issues. And and if you have a, uh, you know, again, 50 years ago, people might have had five or 10 stocks. And today you've probably got a portfolio of 20 or 30. And so you've got more complex issues and you've got more of them coming at you. And they all come in a, in a season right right about now, actually. And uh, and and so it's tough. And so your broker may be able to give some guidance on how to vote that. But I have to say it's um, that's not a part of the system that's built up well. Mutual funds, some of them will just follow along with management. They, they couldn't be – they're not that interested. I was going to say couldn't be bothered, but there's a resource issue here. Um, uh, they, they may not actually take the time to research and vote thoughtfully on the shareholder proposals, and they may just default to voting with management. Uh, but there are some out there that really go to task, and they're going to be engaging with companies. And so if you want your vote to make a difference, you need to look for those types of, of companies. And on the exchange traded funds, um, I have to say that their, their record on voting, this is what I research at, at school, um, in my PhD, um, that the exchange traded funds don't have a really good record of voting in favor of shareholder proposals historically. That may be changing, but, but what's hard to tell is how much they're engaging with companies in the background. So I, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, to take them to task uh, uh, unnecessarily because they could be doing some very good. And there's some. There was actually a recent um, example this year, just a month or two ago. Um, I think it was BlackRock, but I can't remember where where they actually. It, it appears that there was a very successful engagement outcome. And um, uh, so uh, they're so big. They're five, six trillion dollars. So, so big. They have to be careful how they tread. So, but, um, but anyway, from the voting. To, to make your vote count, it is most likely going to happen. A, if you do the do it yourself, the research and make sure your shares get voted, but that's a lot of effort. Or, or you're using some kind of intermediary, a fund, for example, that's doing it. And if you're part of a pension plan, chances are really high that your pension plan is taking this seriously and thoughtfully and, and voting them well. Hmm. So it looks like uh, you know ESG or the responsible investing we talk about. There are a lot, a lot of funds, you know, almost more, I, I believe there are more than 10,000 funds. Uh, that means that there are so many funds that it's not risky, first of all. Second, in the returns. So returns could be either at the highest or a certain level, but if the company or the investments where you're making, those guys are focused on these issues, maybe the business will be more sustainable for a longer period of time. Because they're just not in terms of monetary benefit they're looking. They're looking at a holistic picture. Because a business or, 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 or any investment has a lot of roles to play in a society. So you can say that that investment of yours, which you put, if it's, uh, it's a kind of responsible investment, those companies or, or, or the vehicles we have in, invested are taking care of uh, the society which supports it. And... Uh, what I also saw somewhere, the more than 60% of these funds, they're ranking in the top half of uh, the Morningstar category. And uh, almost uh, close to half of the large cap, cap uh, blend sustainable funds were beating even S&P 500. Well, that is for last year, 2019. And uh, if you compare that with uh, the large cap funds total, they were beating only 26% of them were beating it. So there are some signs which are kind of evident that it is good to invest uh, into such 
uh, vehicles or such companies or such opportunities uh, because the return it looks like they are coming close to if not equal to the traditional funds and uh, there may not be a very huge downside risk or something is is that safe to say that because if somebody is thinking holistically basically it's working towards making the business work or wherever you invested to make it work and you're not talking only one piece you're looking at everything around it so Ian great discussing with you uh, we are running out of time now and uh, uh, unbelievable that the time just flew by a very interesting subject and uh, we will talk to you about this subject at, at another future opportunity but thank you for highlighting what is responsible investing why it is becoming so popular and how individual investors can use the vehicle of proxy voting and all to influence the in uh, the companies where they've invested uh, in, in in their own way or it could be a limited way uh, but there is a way uh, to influence there. So I'll let you give a closing comment and then uh, uh, we'll close the program today. Mahesh, thanks so much for uh, having me on today. It's, it's been a real pleasure uh, spending some time with you. Um, and if I could give people one takeaway, it is that you, you, can, uh, you can invest in ways that um, make you feel comfortable with your investments. Um, and that integrating ESG issues into the analysis part is essential. It's essential to making sure that all of the issues are taken account of and that by analysts taking account of those issues to the extent they're material, um, that they're telling companies what's important and companies pay attention to them and it improves their behavior. So you have kind of on the one hand, uh, you, you've got your vote back to reflect back to companies through your vote what's important and you've got these analysts also asking the companies about environmental and social and governance factors and the companies pay attention so taking account of ESG factors is the core of responsible investment but we should also feel very comfortable uh, tilting portfolios in in ways that also help us sleep at night and feel more comfortable with what we're holding whether that's done directly through direct stocks or through mutual funds or ETFs very well said, Ian. Ian, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure discussing this important subject today. You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.